Welcome to Stories from Among the Stars. You're listening to The Last Watch by J.S. Dewis. Chapter 36 Adequin could do nothing, and it drove her fucking mad. She'd helped offload the supplies along with Griffith and Puck, then gone into detail with Jackin about the Divide's position, checking the atlas to determine its approximate location and speed. They had an hour, maybe less, but they couldn't be sure. The atlas appeared to be updating, but they didn't know the severity of the delay. But as they'd flown the SGL back toward the enormous structure, Adequin had seen the telltale static sparks flashing as the various debris, stray gases, and random stardust that lay outward were extinguished from existence. So she knew it was close, and growing closer every minute. Once they were inside, she could only stand there as Cavalon and Mesa fluttered around within the enormous bronze sphere, apparently an extremely powerful fusion reactor, and watch. Wait for them to figure it out. Try to interpret their rushed requests if they called out for things. But mostly it had been a two-person operation, and she could do little but stand back and wait to be summoned. After a time, she'd taken up post outside the door to the curved corridor and deemed herself responsible for running interference between doppelgangers and the real Mesa and Cavalon. It had been a bit of a time-ripple nightmare, exacerbated by the fact that approximately every three seconds, Mesa or Cavalon changed their mind about something. That sent their duplicates into rippling, confused choruses of possibilities, and they were not quiet about it. The Mesas were enraged that their work had been hindered, and the Cavalons immediately became flustered and unsure of what to do with themselves. Griffith had offered some sage advice. Apparently, approaching a duplicate with a bit of a paradox could expedite its disappearance. If you informed it that it was not in fact real, pointed out the present version of itself, or better yet, did something to the present version of itself that it couldn't have recalled happening, because you just decided to do it, it would vanish much quicker. However, She'd pinched Cavallon a half dozen times already, and she was pretty sure he'd started to get annoyed. So she sat back and tried to think of another approach to fielding the duplicates. Jackin had suggested leading them straight out the door and off the edge of the platform. But real or no, that was a little too disturbing for her to seriously consider. Thankfully, none of the strange past time ripples had occurred, at least not yet. She wasn't sure if they'd show up as the divide grew closer, or if they were an anomaly specific to whatever had happened to the Tempest. The future ones were causing enough of a problem all on their own. As Cavallon and Mesa's work began to wind down, the duplicates grew less and less frequent. They made fewer snap decisions, changed their minds less often. It wouldn't stop the far-off futures from showing up, but it lessened the likelihood of the near-future ones considerably. We're ready for the hydrogen, Cavallon's voice called through the comms. Adequin exhaled a sigh of relief. She summoned her imprints and picked up one of the four dozen meter-and-a-half-tall compressed hydrogen tanks. Griffith grabbed another, 
and together, Jackin and Puck lifted a third, and they filed down the curved corridor. Adequin rounded the bend to find Cavalon and Mesa hovered in front of the wall-sized panel of gauges and screens. I don't know, Max Grav sounds pretty good, Cavalon said. But how can we be sure that is the proper setting? Mesa argued. Well, we can't, but I don't think there's an instruction manual lying around, do you? Mesa crossed her arms. Certainly not. Then I say we go big or go home. That is a ridiculous statement. Hey, you two, Griffith said, hefting the tank up onto his hip. In the market for some hydrogen. Yes, please, Mesa replied. Thank you, Centurion. Cavallon took Adequin's tank from her and marched it over to the far side of the bank of panels. Griffith set his nearby, and Puck and Jackin followed suit. Then the three men disappeared down the hall to grab another round. Adequin turned back to Mesa. Hey, Mace. She tilted her head down the hall, and Mesa took the hint, following her a few meters around the bend. Yes, Exuviter. Adequin switched to a direct comm link and lowered her voice. Listen, I don't want to get Cav all worked up, but we might need to pick up the pace a little bit. I understand. Mesa inclined her head. I will light a fire under his ass, Adequin offered. Mesa's disdain at the crude turn of phrase was apparent, but she nodded her agreement. But gentle, Adequin warned. Don't get them all freaked out. Tell them a story or something. Keeps them focused. Mesa gave an amused smirk. I understand. Less than 30 minutes later, Mesa was three tails deep into her harrowing chronicle of experiences as a prisoner of war during the resurgence. Delivered, of course, with the utmost dispassion, as if reading a bland passage from an ancient historical account. When Cavallon finally finished. He emptied the last of the hydrogen into the vacuum-sealed chamber. Then Mesa said something about checking the schematics one last time and disappeared down the hall, leaving Adequin alone with Cavallon as he detached the last tank and rolled it aside. That's all of it. He stepped back, hands on his hips. Sweat glistened on his forehead, visible even through the visor. She switched to direct comms. You okay? Your heart rate's still high. Thought you were pretty distracted by Mesa's stories. I was, he admitted. That's some shit, huh? Yeah, she agreed, letting out a heavy breath. It had managed to dredge up some memories of the war she could have done without at the moment. Hydrogen's just extremely explosive, Cavallon said, and that injection valve seen better days. Probably one of the least safe things I've ever done. And that's saying a lot, honestly. She turned a glare onto him. Void, why didn't you tell us? Why, so we can all be freaked out? Plus, it's not like we would have had time to replace it. Adequin shook her head, but decided to let it be. It was over now, and no one had exploded. She gestured to the pile of empty tanks strewn all over the corridor. Doesn't seem like much. Not that she had the first clue what star building entailed. But it didn't seem like someone should be able to make one from four dozen tanks of compressed hydrogen. Will it be enough? Cavallon shrugged. 
no idea. He crossed his arms and stared at the panels for a few seconds. Can I, uh, be frank with you, Rake? Adequin swallowed. This was it. When he tells her this is foolish and it'll never work, and all she'd done was bring them here to die in the wake of the divide aboard an overlarge dead data beacon. Go ahead, she said. There's an apparatus on those schematics. It's marked as a primary system. We had to feed it some freaking terracine. You know, the metamaterial that runs the gates? I have no idea what the system is, but I tell you what I hope it is. And what's that? Some kind of hydrogen duplication machine. That sounds made up. Yeah, it would be. That doesn't exist. Then again, none of this does. Fair enough. I also hope there's some kind of spatial compression that's going to happen, even once it's burning. I just can't see how the mass is going to be enough to sustain itself in a chamber only 10 meters in diameter. This really isn't bolstering my confidence that this is going to work. No, he said, shaking his head. Me either. I mean, we're putting in the right amount, the amount the Atlas schematics call for, so in theory, this should all work, assuming the Viators didn't give shitty instructions. He looked to Adequin and grinned. We'll find out, I guess. So we're ready? Yes, sir, he said with too much forced cheer. How do we start it? He pointed to an inconsequential, small rectangular button near the center of the control panel, enclosed in a glass casing. The schematics say this is the guy. Press button, make star. He swung his look back toward her. You want to do it? Not in the least. This is your baby. You do the honors. I get it, he grumbled. You want me to be the one to kill us all. She scoffed a laugh, then took in a deep, calming breath. He stared back at her expectantly. She sighed. You want us to push it together, don't you? Looks like a tough button, he said with a grin. Might take two of us, even with the aid of imprints. She rolled her eyes and switched back to universal comms. Fine. Everyone ready out there? Mesa? Ready, Exubiter. We're good, Jackin called back. Cavallon flipped open the glass casing and hovered his finger above the button, and Adequin lifted her hand as well. Cavallon cleared his throat. Do we need to have one of those conversations about what on three means? Bloody void, she cursed, then grabbed his hand and pressed it into the button. A light below the casing flickered on, but otherwise, nothing perceivable happened. She exchanged an expectant glance with Cavallon, who shrugged. Rake, Griffith's weathered tone crackled through. It's doing something out here. Adequin headed back to the main room, Cavallon on her heel. Griffith, Mesa, Jackin, and Puck stood a ways in front of the long, dark glass window. The metallic panels that lined the inside of the sphere shimmered with a blue-white, almost iridescent glow. If this happens, Cavallon warned, it's gonna be, uh, bright. 
Adequin nodded, stepping up beside Griffith. Guys, switch on your visor's advanced light shielding. The others complied, but Cavallon just looked down at his suit's nexus in confusion. Uh, he mumbled. How? Adequin took his forearm and slid through the menus to turn his on, then did the same for her own. A gridded overlay flashed over her vision before fading away. A readout in the corner indicated the automated shielding was currently at zero percent. And maybe just don't look at it, Cavallon warned. But they all kept staring at the chamber, even Cavallon. Adequin could already tell it was going to be one of those things you just couldn't look away from. It began slowly, with tiny dots of concentrated light sparking throughout the chamber, like the tiny stars of a tiny universe. They hovered perfectly still, wavering in intensity as they flickered into existence. The floor rumbled lightly. A sharp, chalky crack thundered through the chamber. Adequin's breath caught along with a dense thud in her chest that pressed into her heart and throat and eardrums. She looked to Cavallon beside her. The grav generator, he explained. Though the comms crackled with static, his voice came through surprisingly steady and reassuring. She gave him a short nod, then looked back at the sparkling field of minuscule stars. Dozens more, then hundreds flickered to life, the number growing exponentially by the second. In an instant, the visor's shielding flashed to a hundred and Adequin's entire display shorted out. A sonorous, hollow whoosh preceded a wave of intense heat billowing from the glass. Sweat beaded on her skin. Griffith turned and pulled her into him, eclipsing her from the wave of heat, though she could still feel it burning through the side of her suit. Her comms crackled, and her HUD flickered with static and blackness, interspersed with flashes of blinding white. She kept her eyes shut. Moments later, the flashes ceased in favor of a steady stream of white. She opened her eyes, staring down at Griffith's boots and the dark aerosteel floor while her vision adjusted to the new, incredibly bright light level. She drew her gaze up slowly as Griffith let go and turned along with her to stare at the wide window. A five-meter-wide, perfect sphere of colorless light sat hovering in the center of the containment chamber. Tiny flares of white and faded magenta licked up off the edges as it churned. The window's glass had taken on a dark film, shading the view to make the reaction visible, though the intensity of the filtered light remained almost blinding. Adequin looked to Cavallon. He still stood beside her, but had faced away, arms hovering to his sides. He looked back over his shoulder to stare at the churning ball of gas, his face awash in the bright light, his stunned blue eyes exhilarated. He turned his beaming look to meet her gaze. Is it a bit toasty in here? She couldn't help but smile back. While Puck tried to get Mesa to give him a high five, Jackin crossed over to give Cavallon an exuberant handshake. Griffith gripped the side of Adequin's arm and peered down at her. Inside his visor, sweat dripped down his forehead, 
wrinkles deeper than when they'd arrived. He was fading fast. Quite a thing, Moacare, he said. Still think space nature is bullshit? Bullshit can still be awesome. She laughed, and he wrapped his arms around her. Oh, man, Cavallon said with a breathy chuckle, rubbing his hands together and seeming quite pleased with himself. If we could recreate this tech, stick it on a ship, feed a jump drive, holy shit, you could have unlimited jumps. Shit, yeah, Jackin agreed, turning back to gape at their mini star. Well, the power source is certainly on, Puck said. But what about the station? Mesa crossed over to the terminal and tapped on the screen for a few seconds. Jackin grabbed the atlas and walked over to the doorway that led back out into the main structure, then returned moments later. Nothing new happening out there. Reactor stability is excellent, Mesa announced. Energy levels are at optimal output. She slid through a few more menus, then pointed over her shoulder. That appears to be the control switch for station activation. This? Puck asked. He stood across the room near a terminal set in the opposite wall, which lacked any kind of screen or visible control system. At chest height sat an angled glass panel with a half-cylindrical slot recessed into the face. Mesa inclined her head. Yes, I believe so. Looks like an arm slot to me, Puck said, then laid his arm into the opening. Puck, Mesa barked. Her harsh, uncharacteristically loud tone caused Adequin's heart to skip a beat. Puck waved Mesa off as the face of the machine glowed white, then buzzed, enclosing his arm in a cylindrical sleeve of metal. Moments later, it gave a negative beep, then the sheath reopened as the light faded away. Huh, he rubbed his forearm. I don't think anything happened. Mesa stormed across the room and pulled him away with a sharp, annoyed grimace. Please do not stick your appendages into things when you do not know what they will do. Puck's cheeks flushed, though his lips pulled up into a small grin. Sorry. You are lucky that did not kill you, she snapped. With your imitative sentinel imprints, who knows what kind of reaction that machine could have had. Cavallon nodded, staring at the churning ball of hydrogen. Volatile interfacing. Mesa looked back to Puck. It probably could not sense them through your suit, but do not do that again. Puck nodded, though he still seemed more amused or even pleased than remorseful. Wait, Mace, Adequin said. You know how this thing works? Yes, Mesa said brusquely, still reeling with irritation at Puck. It is an interface method for complex industrial structures, network systems management, large-scale database searching, etc. She swept a disdainful look over the apparatus. This appears to be a somewhat crude version, likely one of the earliest iterations of the technology. And it does what exactly? Adequin asked. It functions in conjunction with Viator imprint technology to allow the user neural access to a mainframe. Looks like an arm slot to me, Puck said. Adequin looked back to find a new Puck standing beside the apparatus again, 
He laid his arm down into the slot. Fucking void, Jackin cursed. Mesa crossed her arms and watched in irritation as the duplicate Puck disobeyed her orders. Real Puck pressed his hand to his visor and sighed. Adequin found it quite amusing for a half second prior to realizing what it meant. Reverse time ripples. Future and past shit mingling in the present to create glorious chaos. As well as a very pronounced, visceral reminder that the divide rushed closer every second. Adequin walked over to Real Puck and punched him in the chest. Ow, boss, what? Puck trailed off, watching in surprise as his duplicate flickered and faded away. Wait, Adequin's brow creased in confusion. She'd reacted on instinct, but that made no sense. She looked to Griffith. Why did that work? Griffith's eyes were wide, and he gave a weighty shrug. No idea. She shook it off, then checked the readout in her HUD, confirming that the exterior oxygen levels and temperature remained safe. Gripping the sides of her helmet, she released the lock and pulled it off her head. An immediate onslaught of oppressive heat greeted her, along with a wash of blinding light as her eyes adjusted to the unshielded brightness of the room. Rake, Jackin barked. Quinn, what are you doing? Griffith asked, voice low and distressed. Tossing her helmet aside, she began to peel off her suit from the neck down, skin slick with sweat. She hadn't realized how much her suit had dampened the heat. We're short on time, guys, she said. We need to get this thing turned on, now. It wants real Viator imprints. She shouldered out of the sleeves of her suit and tied them around her waist, then held up her arm. The silver and copper imprint squares flashed brilliantly in the intense light. How do I control it, Mace? I, Mesa began, face slack. I am not sure, Exubiter. Adequin nodded, decided she didn't care, then turned and laid her forearm in the slot. The glass glowed white as the cylinder encircled her arm and the cool metal clamped down. Her skin tingled and a brief pang of horror spiked in her chest as her imprints sprung to life of their own accord. She'd never not had control over them before, never seen them act other than under her urgings or instincts. She watched in awe as they folded and unfolded in a glittering cascade down her bicep and onto her forearm, disappearing under the metal sleeve. Then she realized what was really happening, because it started to hurt. Hurt like it had when she'd gotten them. But instead of scorching metal burning into flesh, it was the opposite. Like the squares infused into her were being torn off, carved out of her skin and muscles one by one as they transferred into the machine. She ground her teeth as the imprints continued to flood from the rest of her body, up her back and chest and into her arm, disappearing into the metal cuff. She let out an involuntary, guttural growl, and though she bit the pain back down, it quickly became all-consuming. Shit, Quinn, Griffith's low voice hissed as he hovered in her periphery. Then, in an instant, the pain ceased, 
The tension left her muscles, and her eyelids dropped closed. The awareness of her physical presence withered as her mind disconnected and faded into the machine. She instinctively knew what to do, how to interface with it. Just like her imprints, will thought into action simply with intent. The imprints would translate. So she got right to the point and asked them to turn the structure on. They faltered. They couldn't do it. They wanted to obey her, but a barrier stood in their way. She asked to see what blocked them, and she knew it was only data, but she could feel the answer as much as know it, and it felt real, like a perfectly recorded memory playing back in exhaustive detail. She confirmed she had all the information she needed, then asked to be released. In a shorter but equally intense rush of pain, her imprints flew out of the machine and up her arm, returning to their default formation. The metal sleeve opened and she stumbled back. Griffith caught her, keeping her upright until she found her footing. He turned her around, gripping her arms. Adequin. She blinked the watery haze from her eyes and focused onto him. I'm okay, she assured, though her voice came out haggard. What happened? She breathed heavily, letting her mind catch up and process what she'd learned. Of course it wouldn't be as simple as building a star. The station can't connect to the power source, she said, turning away from Griffith to face the others. An expulsion system overloaded when the last power source collapsed. Cavallon stared, eyes wide. Collapsed, like, supernova? Adequin shrugged. I guess it exploded and the mass had to be expelled or it would have taken out the entire structure. There's a failsafe for that exact purpose, but it was damaged during the emission. The vent is still open, and until it's properly sealed again, the station can't turn on. Where is this vent located? Mesa asked. On the hull. Oddly, Cavallon immediately sat on the ground, legs crossed under him. Adequin turned a confused look onto him, but he didn't seem to notice. She looked back at Mesa. Can you bring up the schematic labeled Immens Myertis? How, Mesa began, but then cut herself short, seeming to dismiss her curiosity with an effort. Adequin followed as the savant marched to the terminal. She brought up the main structure schematic, and Adequin recognized the layout from what she'd seen inside the mainframe. There, that's where it is. She pointed to the spot, and Mesa enlarged the area. Adequin tilted her head to get her bearings. That's the outward-facing side, Mesa said. Do we have to fly out there to reach it? I don't believe so. Mesa zoomed in even farther, narrowing in on the corridor that arced around the power source. There is an access hatch here, which leads outside the hull. Right, I remember now. She nodded as the details of the information she'd collected from the mainframe solidified. I can get us there. She walked over to Cavallon, still sitting on the ground in the middle of the room, both arms wrapped around his midsection. Cav? He looked up at her, the weight of his helmet lolling his head back with a light bounce. Hey, sir. Just having a bit of a sit? 
I figured I'd rest while I could, he said dolefully. We're going on another EVA, aren't we? Yeah. Okay. He looked back down, nodding slowly. She offered her hand and he gripped her forearm, then she pulled him to his feet. Can you tell me what we need to make the repair? She asked. He turned to stare at the imprint apparatus with wide eyes. You want me to do that thing? No, it may not be safe since you also have sentinel imprints, but I have all the information, she assured. I don't understand it, but I've got the details. Okay, he said, what's broken? There's a purge valve located on the outer hull where the mass ejected after the explosion. The emissions blew off the outlet cowl. It doesn't have to be replaced, but it does need to be hermetically sealed. What's it made of, the valve? Aerosteel. And how large is the vent? 0.82 meters in diameter. Okay, I can take the recoil paneling off the SGL's warp drive, fuse it on with a plasma torch, unless it'll cold weld, but it's probably coated. The recoil paneling won't affect our ability to, uh, she cut herself short, but her reeling mind couldn't come up with a more subtle word. Escape? No, sir he assured. Might make accelerating and decelerating a little rougher, but it's perfectly safe. Let me take him, sir, Puck said. No, you're too inexperienced, she said. This is going to be a dangerous walk. Then I'll go, Jackin said. We can't risk you. I need you to have the SGL locked and loaded. If we fail out there, you need to be ready to get the others back to Karin before the divide's too close. Did you even hear what I said? He asked, brow creasing. Yes, thank you both, really, she said sincerely. But I saw the layout in the mainframe. I know where this thing is, how we get there, and how to fix it. It has to be me. Puck nodded slowly. Jackin crossed his arms and exchanged a wary look with Griffith. Finally, Jackin let out a relenting breath. All right, Rake. He turned to Puck. Take Cavalon and run back to the SGL. Get whatever he needs. Bring back two MMUs, harnesses, and tethers, and every zero-G tool we have. Copy that, Optio. Puck led Cavalon out the door toward the SGL. Rake. Jackin took a step closer, expression tight. Can I get a minute? She followed him as he walked to the far side of the room. I know what you're going to say, she said, crossing her arms. This is a risk. I shouldn't be going. Actually, he said, flexing his jaw. For once, no. I wanted to say I'm proud of you. The tightness in her shoulders loosened as she uncrossed her arms. Oh, this whole thing's been one tough call after another, but you've made all the right ones. He stared down at her bare arms. And putting your damn arm in that thing? He shook his head. I wish I could be half as fearless as you. She gave a grateful nod, surprised at how much his words loosened the caustic strain that had taken root in her chest. You like to say you're not a ship captain, he continued. But command isn't about knowing how to run a ship. It's about people, being an example, and you're damn good at that.
She swallowed the lump at the back of her throat. Thanks, Jack. And he ran a hand over the top of his helmet. I'm sorry for questioning your orders. On the Argus, Karin, the synthesis. It's not my place. Not only because you're my CO, but because... He paused to clear the hesitation from his throat, and his tone came revived, unyielding. You've earned my trust. You earned it a long time ago. I never should have questioned that. A smile tugged at her lips. Hate to break it to you, Optio, she said, but you're wrong. Beneath his visor, his eyes flickered with unease. I'm trying to apologize here, boss. I know, and I appreciate that. But it is your place to question me. It's exactly your place. You think I want a second that's just going to blindly follow me, no questions asked? I need you to be you, and you're the only one I trust to get the others safe if this goes lateral. He let out a long breath. We've had enough lateral for one day. I agree. She gripped his hand and squeezed, and he pulled her forward, wrapping his arms around her. He let out a long, heavy sigh. Don't die, please, he said. I want to be able to continue judging all your decisions. Copy that. Jackin's arms dropped away as he stepped back. I'll go help Puck and the kid. She nodded. Thanks, Jack. Jackin disappeared out the door toward the SGL. Exubiter, Mesa called from across the room. May I have a moment of your time? Adequin crossed to where Mesa and Griffith stood beside the station activation controls. What's up, Mace? The savant cleared her throat. We have been discussing it, and, well, if we get low on time in regards to the divide, and you are still out on the hull, well, we need Viator imprints in order to start the station. Adequin's stomach turned at the implication, but she quickly tamped it back down. No one had real Viator imprints except her and Cavalon and Griffith. But she couldn't ask that of him. We'll be fast enough, Adequin said, tone firm. We'll get the repair done and get back in to start it. Are you kidding, Quinn? Griffith scoffed. I'll do it. She shook her head. Griff, it was extremely painful. I'm not sure you could handle it in your state. What state? His expression remained impassive, eyes glinting playfully. She pushed her sweaty hair out of her face and sighed. Mesa gave a light smile and walked away toward the primary computer terminal across the room. Are you calling me old? He asked. Griff. He reached up and released his helmet. Don't, fuck, it's hot, he grumbled, then dropped his helmet at his feet. He peeled off the top of his suit and tied it around his waist, then faced her squarely. Listen, if you make it back in time, great. If you don't, then it's gotta be me. Griff, I don't think you understand. It was like getting the imprints all over again, but way, way worse. What's it gonna do? Kill me 12 hours earlier, he said dryly. Then his tone fell serious again, low and haggard. 
I'm too young to die of old age anyway, Quinn. She forced a swallow, though her throat had gone bone dry. I'm not long for this world, he said quietly. Let me do this. She bobbed her head slowly. He pulled her into a hug, and she let a couple of tears get lost in the sweat of his shirt. I love you, Griff, she murmured. Love you too, Moacare. That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow Stories from Among the Stars on your preferred podcast app to get the next episode. Or if you just can't wait, you can find The Last Watch and its sequel, The Exiled Fleet, wherever books or audiobooks are sold. Thank you. Thank you.